Hey, everybody. Welcome to Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and I'm so happy you're here with us. If you're just joining for the first time, I am a special needs mom, a special needs attorney, and a best-selling author. So please grab your coffee, and if you're like me, you might be listening in your car. I spent a lot of time in the car in my day. And please join us for some important discussions to help you thrive in this complex special needs world. Each week, we're going to chat with parents and experts, and sometimes parents who are experts, to offer compassionate advice for all stages of your life. These are the conversations you would have with your best friend if your best friend was an expert like me. Let's go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. This week, my guest is Dr. Randy Coolman. Yes, cool man. Love that name. So nice. Um, so Dr. Coolman has a really interesting company that he started called learningworksforkids.com. And Learning Works for Kids is all about teaching executive functioning and academic skills using educational technology that actually specializes in using video games. So I found this fascinating. I'm sure you will too. He um, he does neuropsych evals and um, mainly focusing on executive functioning and attention difficulties in the tiny state of Rhode Island. And he's um, a frequent author and speaker for many publications and many venues that you would know. He's got some great books out there, but some of what you might wanna um, pick up and, and tune into are Train Your Brain for Success, A Teenager's Guide to Executive Functions, Playing Smarter in a Digital World, and the Gaming Overload Workbook for Teens. So I'm going to have all of Randy's contact information in the show notes. However, I wanted to chat with you just for a minute today about empowerment. My interview with, with Randy made me think a lot about empowerment. His theme is all about empowering teens and their parents, but mostly teens themselves, to take the skills that they have and the things that they love and turn them into skills for success. And that was so awesome to me, Um, really jazzed about that idea. Rather than trying to fit folks into our box, we are exploring what is what their natural inclinations are and using that for real world good. So as I'm thinking about empowerment, I've been over the past year doing a lot of speaking about person-centered planning, particularly in the transition age youth and in the guardianship world to avoid guardianship or limit guardianship where it's not necessary, but how to involve folks 
and make sure that disabled folks are at the center of the plan and that their voice is at the center of the team so that their choices can be honored. Voice and choice, been talking about it for a couple years now. And this got me thinking in my interview with Randy that he's doing the same thing. He's empowering youth to recognize what they have going on, what skills they have, and then even going to that next level of creating this workbook for teens talking about gaming overload and when to recognize that they need to make some changes or tune into, you know, how they're feeling and what's going on with them. So it's all about this empowerment, right? And as we have been challenged by the Britney Spears case last year, and as we have been challenged by so many ideals that we have, um, the pandemic also opened up our world quite a bit electronically. And at the same time, it closed off our worlds in a lot of ways because we don't have the staffing and the supports out there that we need. Programs have closed or have shrunk. And what we need to do now to step forward through all of this is to figure out and identify what we already know, what's working, what's not working, what do we need to do differently? Taking our clues and all the data from the person that we're supporting, or if that's you and you are a self-advocate, just making sure that you are at the center of that planning model. What goes forward from here is taking all of those data points and that information and turning it into a solid person-centered plan that revolves around the disabled person and includes their voice in everything that, in, in all choices, in all decisions that are being made. Even the most limited person has opinions and desires and can communicate them to their supporters in a way that they can understand. So having said that, I know we still have a long way to go, but think about your plan this week. Think about how are you empowering your team that you're supporting, the disabled person, the supporters around that disabled person, how are you in the mix and doing this in a person-centered way? Think about that. Think about empowerment and moving forward in that person-centered way, honoring choices and hearing the voice of the person that we are supporting. As always, please let me know what you think about this podcast any topics that you'd love to hear from us, I want to know about them. Just get in touch, DM me, send me a message. Let me know, you know, what's on your mind. Um, we've had a huge uptick in our readership, our, our listeners, and I'm so grateful for all of you who keep showing up and who are sharing. Please continue to do so. 
your ratings and reviews and sharing this podcast gets it out to the people who need the information the most. Thank you so much. And here we go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. Today, we're going to have a lot of fun because we're talking with Dr. Randy Coleman, who I want to call the cool man. I was so excited when I saw his name and I'm like, that's got to be it. And nope, it's Coleman, but he is a cool guy because his whole uh, idea is kind of, it's pretty innovative as far as I've seen. Um, And it's all about using games and, and digital to engage kids with ADHD, ASD, learning differences, and executive function issues. So this is going to be a fascinating topic. I always say I'm the luckiest gal in the world. I get to talk to people who I want to learn from and hear more about on my podcast every week. So cool. Thank you, Randy, for coming to the show. Uh, Annette, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about doing it. So, of course, I always like to ask, you know, hey, you know, tell us a little bit about your background and how did you get interested in this topic and this idea? Well, that's a that's a that's a great question, because it's it's really important in terms of what I do. So, uh, first of all, I am a child clinical psychologist. Uh, My day job, if you will, is seeing children and teens and college students and doing neuropsychological evaluations of them. So look at things like ADHD, autism spectrum disorders, executive functioning difficulties. Uh, But in becoming a psychologist, I did my undergraduate work at the University of Rochester, where probably the preeminent psychologist on on children's play was working at the time, uh, Dr. David Elkind, who's actually then moved to Tufts in in, in Boston. And he's written numerous books on children's play and got me really interested in kids' play and the power of their play and how they learn from their play. So that mm-hmm. sort of sets the background for this interest, if you will, in children's use of video games. So I go, I go to graduate school, do some research. In fact, my master's thesis was, was about children's play. I okay. do this research, get into a clinical practice. I'm seeing kids, lots of kids with ADHD, by the way, and these kids with ADHD, learning disabilities, autism spectrum disorders, those, those kinds of things, probably the kids that you know that you, you work with and families you work with, they're coming to my office. And one of the things I begin noticing about them is that child after child seems to have problems with learning and attention. But at that point, this is the late 80s, early 90s, they're the family experts on how do you get the, at that point, the BCR running. Uh, you know, how do you do anything with technology as we move forward a little bit into the 90s and we get those, the early uh, cell phones, if you will, they're the kids were the ones that knew how to play with it right. in order to use it. Parents right. did not, do they? And, and so that's sort of what happened. I kind of got interested in, 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 in that perspective. And I'll take it a little further if you'd like, but why don't you pull, pull me where you want me to go with this? So... We are, as a community, telling kids to get off screens, but you're encouraging kids to get on screens. And I want to talk a little bit more about that because you've written some books uh, about this, um, A Teenager's Guide to Executive Functions, Playing Smarter in a Digital World, and the Gaming Overload Workbook for Teens. So why are video games improving executive function and 
social emotional learning skills. Why are video games beneficial when it comes to um, kids with disabilities and social media too? I know that's like a huge bite, but I'm, I just really want to hear more about that. I'm fascinated. Okay, so yeah, I, I, that's a those a lot of questions. So let, <laughs> let me let me think about let me think a little bit about where I want to start with it. First of all, I would say I, I I guess I wouldn't say that I am encouraging kids to use video games or spend more time with video games. I don't think that's what I'm trying to do at all. In fact, if anything, the Gaming Overload Workbook, my most recent book, was a book for teenagers about saying, "Hey, how can you moderate how much time you spend with technology? Yes. What can you do about that?" And Probably the concept that I've developed over the course of the last 20 years doing this kind of stuff, and this is really my passion, the thing that I'm most proud of, if you will, is a concept that I call a play diet or a healthy, balanced play diet. And I'll explain this to you. So essentially, in today's world, kids want to spend an awful lot of time in front of screens. And Every time I've done presentations to groups, webinars, things like that, about the use of games and technology, like how can you use Minecraft or Roblox as games to kind of improve executive functions? Because by the end of the end of the session, I have all these parents saying, my kid spends too much time on video. And so I know that's a big issue and I see it in my work and we can see right. it in the world. So yeah. a healthy and balanced play diet talks about how digital play, which is the one form of play, is important, not something that we should discount in today's world, but that more importantly, physical and social play are things that parents need to be promoting and making sure that it happens. And it's much more difficult to do it now when screens are pulling everybody's eyes in and their energies in as well, as well as creative and unstructured play. So I basically divide play into five different categories, physical, social, creative, unstructured, and digital. And what I'm essentially saying is that digital play is okay. And realistically, it's a big part of children and adults' lives. So to, to think that we can kind of shut that off, and some people try, sometimes modestly successfully, but we can't. And so the question became more, not about encouraging that, but leveraging that. How can we use all that time that kids are putting into play. And particularly, if you if you watch a kid play a video game or engage, you know, engage in social media and things like that, how can we use their attention, their persistence, their ability to handle frustration, their willingness to make mistakes, things that they don't do, especially the kids that we work with, they don't right. do that very much when they're doing homework. How can we use that to help them learn something? So that's really where this comes from. That's where it's like, how do we do something with that? Okay, I haven't, I haven't given you the answer yet. But I'm, I'm, I'm building up to that, okay? But how do we leverage all that? Because we're catching kids where they're at. They're already there. How can we make that better? How can we add calcium to the orange juice, if you will? Or I like to say, how can we make this digitally nutritious? Right. I love that. That's great. <laughs> so I, I can kind of get something like Minecraft, but how do you make TikTok work <laughs> in some way <laughs> for kids? Well, TikTok might be a little bit further away, but but I would I would say to you that when kids are creating videos, that they're needing that they're oftentimes planning out what they want to do. They they're organizing stuff, getting materials. They're being creative. They're often sometimes they're editing those kinds of things. They're using social awareness skills to think about what other people are going to think are funny or interesting. So they're using a, a, a number of these kinds of skills that 
that they need in the real world. Now, the biggest question that we're going to at some point get to here is how do they take what they're doing there or in Minecraft or in Roblox and generalize it or transfer it to the real world? That's where the trick comes into play. And we're not there yet in terms of doing it perfectly, but that's sort of what our goal is to sort of help with that. But so I think we can find that across a lot of things. One of the interesting things about some of children's digital play is, is that it, it, 10, 20 years ago, and it was people were really down on kids playing video games and oftentimes talked about how it was taking away from their learning, from their education, from their creativity. Well, there's been some great studies that, that uh, by a professor at Carnegie Mellon who's looked at children's creativity, for example, and it has videos dating back into the 1980s to look at how children would play with different kinds of toys and in unstructured situations. But what we're finding now is that video game play really leads to more creativity than less creativity. These kinds of technologies allow you to do so many different things. Think about playing Monopoly. There's only one way to play Monopoly on a board, okay? Think about going on to Minecraft or, or on, on any, any kind of sandbox game where there's, you can go any place. There's so many thousands or millions of things that people can do. So it really allows for a different kind of creativity. It really allows for a different kind of thinking and kind of planning and skill development as well. Yeah, this is so fascinating. So give me a real world example of uh, how this would work and also I'm on the edge of my seat waiting for the next part that you're going to tell us. <laughs> the edge of your seat. Wow. I am. Wow, really, that's... literally, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat waiting for you to get to the next part and tell us how this <laughs> all connects together in kids' sure. brains. So let, how about if I get, let me let me give you a little bit of a history about what, what we tried to do at first. How's that? OK, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep you at the edge of your seat a little bit longer. Annette, OK, okay. I, I, you know, if, if I if I hear if I hear a bump, I'll, I'll realize you <laughs> fell off. OK, <laughs> so when we first started doing this, the, the, my, myself and, and the other people who helped me develop learning works for kids, what we did is we said, you know what? There's all these great games out there. We had actually tried some of this in our in our therapy office, by the way. We actually uh, would do group therapy with kids playing an old game called Roller Coaster Tycoon. The kids, and this was a game probably developed, I want to say, in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was on, I think it was on those five-inch floppy disks. And we had a bunch of computers. The kids would come in and play this game where they have to build a, a, an amusement park. And they build roller coasters and other kinds of things they put in. They put in different food operations in there they they and they get feedback from the people in there so they were you know having to like plan out a park think about how could they make money in this park how could they handle uh problems when something broke down it was all kinds of really interesting things they had to do well one of the things the kids did they were really good at this is they built these roller coasters and they were there talking about stuff and they were having fun talking about these skills but they all learned how to build roller coasters that ended like 50 feet up in the air and people would die as they flew <laughs> up and that but but you have to really sort of plan it out i mean they'd build it as high as they could if they wanted if they wanted people to die they had to really use planning skills they had to sort of kind of think about what they wanted to do with that and make that happen so you know we we, we started doing some of that stuff in the office and then we thought to ourselves well well you know we maybe we're helping five or ten kids here in the office how could we be more helpful to get this word out to, to parents of kids with these problems. And for that matter, help maybe get clinicians and teachers to start thinking about this. So what we did is we hired a group of 
gamers, you know, young people. Okay. And by the way, let me make a, let me be, be real clear. I got to make a disclaimer here. I am not a gamer. I am way too old to be a gamer. Okay. Uh, I still well, like games really, and playing. I, I feel better now about myself. I can barely get my texting to work. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. I mean, and, you know, and, and actually when you get older in some of these games, like if you watch a kid play Minecraft, sometimes I get a little bit nauseous because they're moving around so fast. They're changing perspectives. It's like, Oh boy, this is, this is not good, but I'm not a gamer. Although, like I said, I do like, I still like, to, I still like to play a lot. I play in my garden. I play tennis. I, you know, I do, I, I do all kinds of things to play, but I just don't play video, normal, typical video games. So we, anyway, we hired some gamers to kind of start reviewing. We trained them in executive functioning skills and what to look for. And we said, we want you to kind of play a bunch of games or take the games you already know. And we wanted you to begin to identify which skills are being used in these different games. Back then, when we started, we were mostly working with console games. This is really before the internet was really in, in place. This is back in the early 2000s. So they were using console games like the original Xbox and PlayStation and the Nintendo games. So oftentimes we would talk about those big console games. They would play the games. They would then write up something that said, this game uses the skills of, for example, I'll just say time management, uh, response inhibition, kind of inhibitory control, and task initiation, getting started on something. And we would tell parents about the skills the kids use in the games, and then we would give them talking points. Here's how you can talk about this to your child to kind of get them to start thinking about those skills that they use in the game. And... And then we would say, and here are some activities that you can do that fit right with that, that you can kind of tr translate from the game to this. So you, your kids play in the game, you're going to talk to them about the game, you're going to ask them questions about that, and you're going to say, now let's try this, and you're going to see how you use that same skill in the game. Well, guess what? Didn't work very well. Uh, part of what, mostly why it didn't work is because parents... And that's probably still the case at that point, we're just not very interested or engaged in their kids' use of video games. They didn't, you know, at, at that point, I think about maybe 20% of parents would ever play video games with the kids. That's, that's moved up quite a bit now, I think. And part of that's because many of the parents in 2022 grew up with video games. So they right. know video games. They actually know that they learn stuff from video games. They learned a lot of problem solving because they, they know that. So, so they're, they're, and, they're, and they're more apt to be able to engage with those games. Whereas before, it was like the kids knew everything about the games and the parents knew nothing about the games. That's not necessarily the case. Now, the kids may know something about a particular game that the parents don't know, but, but parents do know something about video games. They know something about using a controller on a console system. They know, they, they know a lot of things that, that, that people didn't do. But anyway, what happened is with our Learning with Kids site, Parents weren't really using it. They would come. They wanted to know the games to buy for the kids because if we said, hey, this game practices these skills, they said, well, we'll get it for the kid and we'll let them play the game. Well, as, as we'll, we'll, we'll find out, games aren't enough. Uh, kids can play video games all day long and they might modestly improve some executive functions. So they might. There's some pretty good research that supports that. For example, there's a, a game called StarCraft that's closely related to kids improving their flexibility skills. Uh, there's been some excellent studies by uh, a couple of psychologists, Sean, uh, Sean Green and, and Daphne Bavalia, that, that, that use action games and demonstrate how those games can help kids with sustained attention and help them with selective attention. There's some good research using smaller casual games indicating that they can improve executive functioning. So, and we can actually distinguish between the games that will improve those skills. But those are, when we talk about those skills, we're really just measuring them 
shortly thereafter in some other way that's similar in nature to that, but it's not really you know, a great development of the skills. So the, the key thing here is how do you make that happen? So we found that parents weren't doing that. And then there was actually a point at uh, which was really interesting. Uh, some of the people who listen to this and, and anybody who's a, who's a gamer probably knows about uh, EA Sports. It was uh, one of the major video game companies developed, uh, you know, uh, you know, the over over the early two thousands. And the founder of that sold sold his part of the business, and he started. His name was Trip Hawkins. He developed a game called If, and the game of If was based upon teaching social emotional learning skills in the game where the characters in the game would actually speak to the players and get them to do things. So that was really a leap forward uh, in terms of actually saying to the kids, you know, in order to succeed in this game, you've got to do this skill. Wow. Well, unfortunately, the game wasn't terribly fun. Oh. And that is one of the issues with what, we, what we're looking at when we, when we think about using video games to teach these skills. Because the kids are used to playing with these incredibly engaging, fun games. And when people try to use these games to kind of get them to do enough work and sustain their effort on these tasks and, and playing these games for a long period of time and really working at it, uh, unless the game is fun, the kids don't stay engaged. And think about teachers today. They're competing against video games and, and YouTube to be entertaining. Yeah, most of them don't succeed very well with that. Sometimes they, you know, they're going to do other kinds of things. I mean, they, they, this is one of the problems. Um, I, I don't know. Annette, did you ever ever try um, Lumosity? Have you ever seen any of the brain training kinds of programs that 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 are high, highly marketed? No. Okay, so Lumosity, just to, as a quick sidelight, is is a brain training game that's really made for adults. And it's a series of of what really are mostly neuro, short neuropsychological tests that that you do online, but they're they're very they're very simple sorts of games, and Lumosity made all kinds of claims that they you know developed all these kinds of skills, and 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 I think to some degree they were able to do some of that, but they but they ended up getting fined by the FDA because oh geez false, false claims by oh, oh my goodness. It. but part okay. of the reason part of the reason that didn't work though is because. You know, you would do it for a week or two, and then it'd be like, this is just not that fun. It's not that engaging. And so now some of the newer companies, and I don't know if you're familiar with these companies, but there's some new companies. Actually, a couple of them are Boston-based. Uh, there's a company called Achille that's making a program called Endeavor. And then there's another company called Mightier. Uh, that's, oh, yes. Yeah. And, and I so, know about Mightier. Yeah. yeah. So both of these, they're, they're, they're in the, the general realm of what we call neurotechnologies. But what makes these things, I think, much more promising than almost anything else that's been out there in the past is that these companies started with the perspective of, we need to hire video game developers to make these things, that we're gonna start with the idea of making these things fun because that's what you need. And part of what, Learning Works for Kids is based upon is we're just taking the most popular games that kids like that are complex enough that use these skills to kind of use as a teaching tool to practice these skills. So the kids practice the skills in the game. And then the question becomes, how do we get them to generalize or transfer those game-based skills to the real world? How can we make game-based learning into real-world skills? You still sitting okay. on the edge of your seat? 
I am, but sure. tell us a little bit more about Learning Works for Kids because you didn't introduce that before now. Okay, so 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 when we started Learning Works for Kids, basically we review hundreds, and when at this point there's probably fifteen hundred different games and apps on Learning Works for Kids that we have we have reviewed, looked at, kind of written up different descriptions to help parents and educators and clinicians know different games that either can practice or support executive functioning skills. The whole basis of Learning Works for Kids is that we're finding games that practice these executive functioning skills that underlie uh, disorders of ADHD. In fact, many of the thought leaders in the field of ADHD talk about ADHD as a disorder of executive function. They're not concerned so much about the inattention and the hyperactivity. It's all the other skill sets like task initiation, task persistence, time management, those kinds of things. So we basically identify games that use some of these skills, and then we kind of do write-ups. Now, in the past, our focus was primarily on doing all this stuff for parents. Now, what we do is we have developed actual classes, both live classes where we have a teacher and the kids come to, to, to our classes where we play the games with the kids and we talk about the skills and we help them to to go through, I'll, I'll explain the steps that we take, but we, we, we talk about the skills. We, we use the games essentially as a teaching tool to get them to recognize the, the skills they use in the game, to think about how those skills help them in the game. And then we give them assignments about applying those skills in the real world. We, we, we use three words for that. We, we, we call it detect, reflect, connect. That if we can help kids, and this is a process that actually is underlies the idea of generalization. In other words, how do you take something you learn from one place, apply it another? It's kind of like what you would use in a classroom, for kids, especially with kids with special education needs. There's a lot of the times that, that I, I oftentimes see that, you know, kids that I see in my office, that the thing that they're missing more than anything else is the ability to take what they learned in one place and then keep applying it. These are the kids that every morning they wake up and it's, what was that routine that I need for school? They can't remember right. it and they can't apply it, uh, the same kinds of things. So this is, you know, that what we're trying to do with this is utilize these steps for generalization. For, for teachers of, of, of kids in special education, oftentimes what they're doing is they're really working on generalization. I mean, any place, if you learn math in, in school and you don't apply it very well outside of school, that's not unusual. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories from people hiring college graduates and saying, you know what? I don't know. They went to college for four years. They learned other stuff. And it took us a year to train them to, in terms of what we we're doing. They didn't learn the skills they needed to right. work in the real world. And so that's this is not an unusual problem to you know, this idea of transference or generalization. So right. we, we're just more actively involved in it. And, and we've got a series of steps that our teachers take. So we do some live classes. And now we're really focusing on more self-guided classes that we create these really fun videos about the game, uh, just like the videos you would watch on YouTube, except that we're saying, hey, you know, when you do this, you're going to be using this skill. Now, go ahead and do this project in the game. You know, let's say we're building something in Minecraft. Go ahead and build something in Minecraft. Answer a couple of questions of the quiz just to make sure you you know what you're doing. And by the way, when the kids do this on our on our on our, we actually have a site called lw4k.com where this stuff takes place. And on lw4k.com, what happens is then they, when they answer the questions in the quiz, they get what we call brain bucks and they can use it in the store that we have that can allow them to buy some stuff for the video games or some privileges with their parents and other kinds of things like that. And then they do a series of these things. And at the end, we ask them to show us how do you use that in the real world 
we we and then we ask them to take a picture of that or or do something tell give us a description that we can post on our site when they do that they get a whole pile of brain bucks because really what we want them to do more than anything else is we want them to practice that skill in the real world so right. we're sort of using that reinforcement to get them to do that and we're engaging them by starting on a game they love to play so, so now we're there. getting somewhere now we're getting somewhere okay so i'm following you here um but given that how so how are you taking this from a you know a sort of an experimental project into um you know a full therapeutic program so we're doing some research that's one of the ways we do it. So we're doing, we, we're, right now we're running it in a, in a special education school in Providence called the Mount Pleasant Academy. And we're, this, 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 this one happens to be a live class where this is the second time we're doing that. And we're doing some pre and post measures to, to look at that, to see you know, how the kids do before, how do they do after from ratings from the teacher. And, and, we, and, and when we're done with each of our sessions is we give the teachers some things that they can practice in the classroom as well. I, because I don't really think that we're going to just play the games with the kids, get them to go through this detect, reflect, connect pr process, and all of a sudden they're going to be good in executive functions. That's just not going to happen. Okay, you know, I, 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 if I was a better salesman, I would tell you it is, but it's not going to happen that way. This is yeah. going to take practice. It takes repeated opportunities. So, so when we generalize something. We don't just do one thing and think it's going to generalize to everything else. We kind of do little steps. So I like to say that one of the things that I that where I think about this is I, I I'm a uh, as an old man now I had to retire from running in basketball. So I I started to learn how to play tennis. Oh. And I, and I take tennis lessons, and so they'll stop me with my forehand. And first, they'll just be right down the middle, really easy, okay? And all I'm doing is hitting over the net. And then they'll ask me to kind of do something a little bit different. Maybe take one step to my right to do that, okay? Maybe they'll ask me to, to you know, the next step might be to take one step to my right and then try to hit the ball cross court. So I'm doing the same kinds of things with slight alterations. Because if the only thing I ever do is just hit the ball when it comes to me straight in front of me and it's nice and soft and I go to play a game, that's about the only thing I'll be able to do. If I want to generalize this to a broader set of skills, I need to take little steps that are related to that. So sometimes we talk about tr far transference versus near transference. The more smaller, the, the more of these smaller near transference steps we can take. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is all evidence-based stuff about how do we teach kids? This is how yeah. we should be teaching kids, especially kids who have this problem with generalization. And when you're talking about video games, video games are far place from the real world. Now, by the way, we're moving into a whole other era right now. It's happening in front of our eyes, literally in front of our eyes, virtual reality. Right. Now, what's going to happen with virtual reality is they're going to be able to make virtual reality programs that change what's actually going on. So if you want to practice a particular skill or do something with this, and they're starting to use this stuff with kids with ADHD, you're going to just make that happen there. So it's going to be closer to reality. So that distance I described to you from a game to the real world is going to be shortened dramatically. It's going to be, hmm. we're going to be able to do some stuff. Now, where that goes, I don't know. Uh, but but that's, 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 I, I was going to say that's the future. It's not the future. It's really the present. Right. Well, so this is such a huge, huge topic, a big, big topic to try to discuss in, you know, 30, 40 minutes. Um, and I do want to just 
you know, take this down to some small little steps that we can do right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, as we're winding down the podcast, I always run out of time faster than I ever po- could think possible. I don't know how that <laughs> is, but, um, you know, I know that you're moving into a, a live online group, which is really fascinating. And I'd love to know how that's going. Okay. So that's a, that's a, that's a good question. So we've done a Probably, I am going to guess, uh, maybe, I think, I don't know, 500 classes? I'm not sure if we've done that many. So, so Many hundreds of classes. I don't know if we've really done 500 classes on a, on a site called OutSchool. OutSchool is, an, uh, is essentially an online teaching program that we do on Zoom. So we, we've mm-hmm. been doing that on Zoom. Uh, we're, we're in the process of trying to transfer that to our new LW4K.com site. Uh, OutSchool has been was terrific at first, and, and, and when we started it, in terms of getting lots and lots of kids to to kind of engage in our, our our classes, and then I think the population of people that were coming there kind of dwindled dramatically after when when COVID kind of went away a little bit, and kids went back to school. All of a sudden, not us, not just us, but everybody else kind of struggled with that. So that's so that when we do it in a live class, basically the kids come. They have they're either playing they're playing one of the games that we have they they typically with Minecraft for example they come to our Minecraft server and our our gamers have kind of developed essentially within a, what we call a Minecraft map some of the tools that we use so in order for the kids to actually play the game they've got to navigate through our map that tells them here are the things we're going to work on today you know here's we're going to work on the skill of planning and this is we're going to you're going to try to detect when you use the planning skill when you build this kind of thing and we 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 kind of move them through that our teachers talk to them about the different skills they work together as a team uh building things uh we we've we've had some minecraft classes that are focused on things like harry potter things we've had some minecraft classes uh focused on like haunted sorts of scary kinds of things yeah yeah Uh, you know, stuff that stuff that engages the kids. So, so we've been doing those kinds of classes, and and we're doing, and we're not, like I said, we're kind of navigating away from out school to our site right now. Uh, and then the the self guided classes, which I'm actually more excited about in some ways because kids can do those anytime, and they and 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 a lot of the times when kids are playing these games, they really like having kind of a project. So we give them specific projects to do and they kind of work on it. And then they, and they love to share when they've done stuff. I mean, one of the, one of the things, and if I could kind of, let me go off topic for one second. If I could tell parents to do any one thing, we're going to hear this podcast. It would be talk to your kids about their gameplay. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you to do that because I'm running out of time. I was going to say, Hey, Randy, Dr. Cool Man, (laughs) what is the one thing that you could advise parents to do right now to move this forward? And so you're saying that the best thing they can do is talk to their kids. Talk and listen, listen and get the kids to talk about how did they do what they did? How did they solve a problem? Even if you're not, even if you can't really follow them, because when the kids do that, First of all, you're showing an interest in their game, okay? Right. Which I think is really worthwhile because when you show an interest in the kids' gaming, you're also going to be able to say at some point, you know what? I, I, it's fine that you play gaming, but you're going to do other things. You, you're going to be able to have more conversations about the 
overuse of gaming, which is a whole other topic. And I'd be happy to talk to you about that too, because it's, uh, that's what my, that's what my late, latest book is about. And it's, it's really fascinating, not just for kids, for adults, but when parents talk to their kids about the gaming, they have this discussion where the kids can then tell them. And I tell you what, kids love to talk about this stuff. They will tell you how they were thinking. And it's really an opportunity for the parents to just say, wow, that's really cool. So you thought that out, you did this step and then this step. And, and the parents, if they want, they can say, you know what? Well, how, can, how come you don't do that when you have to plan out doing your homework before you visit <laughs> your friend? But, but it's now it's an opportunity to discuss that. It's like, you know what? You really could do that. And that, I mean, that's, that's kind of what we do. But, but I think that that's that one thing they can do is they can talk to the kids, ask the kids about the gaming, ask them how do they solve problems when they're gaming? What are the what are the what are the steps that they go through? I mean, if they look if they look a little bit into some stuff, I mean, and, and our Learning with Kids website is really great at showing them stuff about executive functions. If they learn a little bit about executive functioning skills, they can go ask questions that are sort of relevant to that. I mean, actually, we have sections that kind of give them questions they can ask and things like that for each of the skills. So they could they can they can find that. But but that would be the one thing I would suggest they do. I mean, I'd love to have people come to the LW4K.com site. There's a ton of free stuff there. Uh, in fact, actually, if you want, I can give you a coupon code to put in in for for people who listen. And they oh. can go and, and get it, you know, get get we have you know some of the games are free, but you know, some of the courses are free, but let me give it to you. It's called Podcast 04. And cool. all they need to do is it's for or any Roblox class that they want. So if their kids like to play Roblox, all they have to do is scroll down, find the game, search through, find Roblox. And when it comes to paying, just put that code into the into the discount um, coupon or the I think it's called the coupon code. And put that in and they'll they'll be able to get a free self self-guided class and they can kind of check that out and see if they like it. Yeah, it's, what a great way to to see and try something and see what impact it has. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm out of time, but I cannot tell you how fascinating this topic was. And I am I would love to have another conversation with you about this. I could have talked to you for another hour. So um, thank you so much for coming on. And audience, we are going to have all of Dr. Coleman's contact information on our show notes here. So please go ahead and connect with him. He's got three great books out. And the last one is for the teens. So actually the first one was for teens too. I mean, mm -hmm. it's really great that you are engaging young people about their own brain function and their own mind. And uh, as, as opposed to just lecturing to the parents about it or to the educators about it. So it's, it's nice to even engage on that level and have kids take their own look at what they're doing. So, yeah. so I love this conversation and I'm so grateful that you came on the show today. Thank you so much. You are welcome. I'm really happy to have done this. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoy talking about this as you can probably hear in my voices. I'm pretty passionate about this. Absolutely. Uh, I, I feel like we're, we have this incredible resource that we can use that we're not doing a particularly good job with. So this is our effort to make that happen. Great. Awesome. Well, we're definitely getting there. So thanks again and hope you have a great evening. Okay. Thank you, Annette. Nice talking to you. I really appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping 
If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.